Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is the MLW Radio Network. Welcome to WHW Monday. Tony Schiavone and Conrad Thompson talking about the great years of world championship wrestling, the NWA, and Jim Crockett promotions. And now let's go to the ring. Here's your co-host. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to What Happened When Monday right here on the MLW Radio Network, and it's WrestleMania Monday. Hope you enjoyed the big show yesterday, but now it's time for a trip down memory lane with our master of ceremonies, the voice of professional wrestling below the Mason-Dixon line, Mr. Tony Schiavone. Hello, Conrad. Hello, Slapdick. It was awfully fond to, uh, happy to meet all you guys and gals at WrestleCon. Had a great time. And now we move forward together. You and me, Conrad. Friends, brothers in arms. Boy, comrade. So you're not going to tell us what happened with uh, Deborah McMichael? Nothing. I just I got to spend some time with Deborah. Got to spend some time with Deborah. Some of you guys who were at WrestleCon were thinking that Tony and Deborah may have gotten a little bit too close to each other. We're friends. We are friends. That's all we are. We're friends. I like my marriage. With benefits? No, not friends with benefits. See, I, I knew what you would try to do, but no. Okay. Well, we're doing something different this week. We're calling it hashtag what happened when... Uh, we have uh, been in Orlando, so we didn't have our normal time. We might to go ahead and run a poll, do some research and be prepared. So instead we're just going to call it in the ring, as they say. And we took to Twitter and asked you to go ahead and tweet us your questions. Uh, and so Tony is here and he's ready to, uh, entertain us a little bit. We are going back to the poll and we will have next week's poll at the end of this week's episode. So stay tuned. And then cruise on over to at WHW Monday and throw down your vote. Uh, let's get into it, Tony. Uh, first up, what did Tony think of Hulk bringing his friends in and turning WCW into 1988 WWF? Well, I think Hulk Hogan coming to WCW is one of the reasons we turned it around. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, if he wants to say that we were 88 WWF, then so be it. Uh, I thought that one of the greatest things that Hulk Hogan brought to us was Jimmy Hart. Because the music for WCW changed drastically. Absolutely. And it was for the better. Now, I'm sure uh, this one uh, person probably thinks that 
Well, I'm talking about Brutus the Barber Beefcake. So what? Brutus the fucking Barber Beefcake yeah, okay. and John Tenta. And John Tenta. Well, so what? Yeah. New faces, right? Mm-hmm. Bring them in, see what they Doug can do. Doug and Boss right. Man. Doug and Boss Man. I didn't have any problem any of that at all. I yeah. thought it was good. It was good for business. Well, in fairness, Bossman had been in Crockett before. Yes, he had. Duggan had been in UWF, which Crockett bought. Right. So, I mean, there's, it is what it is. It is what it is, is my favorite cliche there, Conrad. It is what it is. Well, I'm glad we worked it in. Uh, here's one, an old school question. Why did TBS start shows at five minutes past the hour? That's what they always did. Just to be different? Yes, to be different. Um, uh, was that a set? Or your own house where the WCW all-nighter was filmed. That was a room at the Omni Hotel. Okay. Um, what was the dumbest gimmick or match you had to try to get over? The fucking Yeti. <laughs> okay. Well, you want to hear a Yeti story? Yes, I do. Okay. Arn Anderson was one of the agents working on that match. For Havoc 95? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Was one of the agents working on the match, and... The guy who was the Yeti was Ron Reese. And Ron was not the most athletic seven-footer you'd ever find. But Ron was a good guy. Arn Anderson told him, he said they were going over the match, and Arn said, you know, just go out there and get in the flow of things. Do what you do best. Be big, be mean, and you'll do fine. You'll be great, what Arn said. He goes out, and they have the match. And he comes back, and Ron Reese looks at Arn like, so what would you think? Arn said, rewind what I just said. Go kill yourself. The monkey fucking football gimmick ain't going to get it. <laughs> it's one of the great backstage lines of all time. I didn't hear it because I was doing the commentary, but almost to a man. The monkey fucking football gimmick ain't going to get <laughs> rewind it. Rewind what I said. Go kill yourself. The monkey fucking the football gimmick. Just ain't going to get it. We could cut the show off right now. <laughs> That's the high spot. That's That was Arn Anderson's humor, buddy. Oh. So every time I hear about the Yeti, I think monkey fucking the football. Because that's what he did. He dry humped Hogan from behind. Sure. Yeah. And I'm calling this shit. Okay. I'm calling Boris Karloff wrapped up in gauze coming out fucking Hulk Hogan in the ass. So. <laughs> what? What about this gimmick? Next? What? Uh... <laughs> it was. Did you ever? Uh... No. Okay. I know you're, you're you're trying to get, when I say fucked him in the ass, you're trying to get low down and dirty on me. Right? No, I was actually going to ask. Bruce has told me a story once about a guy who you know and love in the business who, when talking about someone who had passed away, yeah, would say, Hey, what was the finish on that guy? <laughs> I think that's hilarious. That is hilarious. <laughs> that's funny shit, man. Uh, I think Bruce was funny. Go ahead. Well, he stole the line. Okay. So he's not funny. Okay. Uh, Ethan Anderson on Twitter wants to know, what's Tony's opinion of the War Games matches? We already addressed this, but yeah. go ahead and cut a promo again. Okay. I, I don't like the War Games matches because I think a good match... A good finish for a big-time match needs to be a one, two, three, pop, fans pop it like that. I think when you just say, he quit, it's kind of a popcorn fart at the end of it. I like the premise of it. We've seen some very good war games. The first one was really, really intense and good. But again, having you, you won't one, two, three. Yeah. And didn't we do that later? 
I don't remember. I think later we, and I, and I really lobbied for that. Uh, I think later we uh, we did do that. I think we had a one, two, three. Um, any good Lee Marshall stories? Yeah, Lee Marshall was was really a nice man. And uh, when we were doing uh, when we were doing Thunder years ago, uh, it was I believe it was me and Mike and Lee we started doing Thunder, and Eric. We were in the backstage area, and Eric asked, gave Lee the option. He said, Lee, if you're one of the commentators here on Thunder, what would you like to do, play-by-play or color? And Lee had a chance to do play-by-play. I thought he'd been great because of his voice. And he said, I want to do color. And I'm thinking, oh, that's Lee. You know, now I'm going to do play-by-play. So that was one story. Second story is uh, Lee could not see too well. He wore glasses. And he had contacts, but he was, it was kind of like Stan Hansen. Right. Where he couldn't see too well. Bobby called him Goo, G-O-O, after Mr. Magoo. Yeah. Okay. And we were leaving a place one time, and Lee was in the parking lot. And me and Bobby and uh, Tanae were driving out of, the, out of the parking lot, and there's Lee Marshall walking around with these bags, looking around. And he even said, Fucking goose lost. And we just laughed like hell and drove off, and Lee's still looking for his car. Oh, my <laughs> God. But we all love Lee. I, a nice man. Uh, made a lot of money uh, as Tony the Tiger. Absolutely. And uh, was a good friend. My son, Matt, when he graduated from University of Georgia, went to, to L.A. Uh, to look for a job, and Lee was very nice to him then. Uh, we, as a family... Uh, and went to L.A. one time doing wrestling. And Lee took a whole day to give us a tour to L.A. He was a nice, nice man. He really was. And a great talent. He would have been a great play-by-play guy for Thunder. He really would have. But he didn't want to do it. He wanted to do color. So. Huh. Uh, where was WCW Saturday Night film during 1999 and 2000? What day of the week? Uh, I was... Filmed on a Tuesday, I believe, after we did our Nitro Thunder thing. And, uh, or maybe on a Wednesday. I'm going to, it was always a, I think Wednesday, a knockoff town. Yeah. Yeah. We did Monday and then we taped Thunder on, on Thursdays, on Tuesdays. And then we did Saturday night on a Wednesday, but we would do two weeks worth. Right. So we wouldn't have to do it every, every week. But it was different venues. I remember going to the Seagate Auditorium Convention Center in Toledo, Ohio, doing one. I remember one time we had an event in Minneapolis. And I drove from Minneapolis to Fargo, North Dakota, to do a Saturday night taping. And kind of left early so I could drive back. Uh, so it was different venues around. I, You know, I never did like center stage. Really? Yeah, I didn't like it at all. I don't know. I'd like for us to do a live podcast there one day. I, I would like to do it there. I just didn't like it for wrestling. Yeah. Um, were you guys in the booth nervous when Hogan walked out at Bash at the Beach 96? Was nervous? Like, well, there's lots of rumor and innuendo that people weren't sure if he was going to turn or not. Right. If he's going to get cold feet. But you knew when he walked out that it was done. Yeah, that was the deal. He wouldn't have walked out if not. 
somebody on Whit Wade wants to know uh, how the Kiss Demon came to be. That was one of Eric's deals with, with Kiss, uh, and as the story goes, Kiss approached the WWE, and they said no, and they approached Eric, and he said yes, and wanted to do it. I, I think it was. A, I don't know how it came off, but you love Kiss. Love Kiss. I was a gigantic Kiss fan. I was, I was really excited, really excited. I think there's a, uh, there's. A backstage clip of the you. backstage so, clip. Yeah. Somebody says, "What do I need to do?" And you said, "Just shut the fuck up. Don't ruin this for me." Or something <laughs> yeah, like right. That. I, I was a big deal for me to say, "You wanted the best. You got the best. The hottest man in the world, Kiss." And true to form, true to fucking form, when they said "Go," I said it. It made it on the air. It didn't make it in the arena. They didn't pop me up in the arena and say it. Another- true to fucking form. Uh, who is Tony's favorite wrestler out of character and the most disliked wrestler out of character? Out of character? Uh, I guess my favorite would have been Arn Anderson. Still is because we're good friends. Uh, dislike wrestler out of character? You know, and I was first starting, uh, and I had problems with Jay Youngblood. He wasn't nice to me. Really? And, yeah. And I don't know why. I uh, He just was not nice to me. He and Steamboat were a tag team back when I first started. Steamboat was tremendous to me. I wouldn't have guessed that you would have said that. Yeah, I wouldn't have guessed he was not nice to me. So I can't say I didn't like him. I didn't really get to know him that much. You know, only did the promos back in the midweek, like Wednesday or Thursday, whenever we did him back then. But he was not He was not nice to me. And uh, so I... I the Van Hammer and I didn't see eye to eye on a, on a lot of things. Uh, we didn't really get into arguments, but you know, I, I heard him try to set up matches one time and thinking, yeah, "What the fuck? What the fuck's he doing?" Right. And I remember him looking at me one time. So you have a problem with what I'm saying here? I went, "No, no, no." And in the back of my mind, I said, "Go ahead, put that shitty match together." Uh, but uh, yeah, Jay Youngblood was of Everybody was kind to me when I first started with Jim Crockett Promotions, except Jay Youngblood. I never understood that. I was told that Van Hammer came into the locker room acting as if he was Hulk Hogan and the second coming of Hulk Hogan. That's probably close. And I was told that somebody you know and is fond of in the business said something after he had this air about him. Yeah. He addressed the locker room and says, guys, calm down. Everything's going to be fine. Yeah. Van Hammer's here to save us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought that. I thought Van Hammer's uh, work rate was suspect. At best. At best. And I don't. <laughs> 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 I don't think that's all his fault. He was got, he got a pretty good push. Right. Uh, and, but I think to me, the, to me, the essence of wrestling back when it was wrestling was a guy being able to call a good match. Right. He called matches, and he didn't know what he was doing. He wasn't the only one. So. Uh, Any good stories about partying with the horsemen? Uh, I uh, went out with Tully and uh, Rick 
in Arne one time in Charlotte, North Carolina is where we lived. And Lois locked me out of the house. Only time she ever did that. What year was that? Uh, 80, let's see, Chris was just born. 85. Locked me out of the house. I had to sleep in the car. Well? Well, I I was drunk, but I was innocent. You got locked out for being drunk. I got locked out for not coming home. What time was it? Oh, it was like 3 a.m., I guess. So, What time did she expect you? I, I don't know. We didn't have cell phones back then. Uh, one time I came back with Blair and, and Arn and Tully. Uh, this was probably about maybe 84, maybe a, a year earlier. And this is probably why she locked me out of the house. Uh, and I came in. She said, yeah, you're drunk. And I went and I puked in the bathtub. In the bathtub? Yeah. Was the toilet not available? As far as I made it. Oh. I said, you're drunk. And I remember my response was, you're ugly. Tomorrow morning I'll be sober and you'll still be ugly. Uh, that didn't set too well. I didn't really think my wife was ugly. She was gorgeous. But that was me being a, a dick. A dick, yeah. Uh, so that probably, as much as anything else, got me locked out of the house. Uh, I remember, uh, and I think I said this on Flair's podcast with you guys. I remember all of us were in Baltimore one time, and Flair, when he would go to these hotels, you know, a lot of times he would get a big suite, mm-hmm. and we had a gigantic party. And I, I don't think it was like a party where we had hors d'oeuvres or things like that. It was just a bunch of people, you know, drinking beer. And there's a lot of the guys were there, and a lot of the female fans were there. And Flair saw me up across the room, and. I saw him sticking his head out of the bedroom, and he said, come here a second. And I said, what? He said, see that girl over there? Go get her. I need to talk to her. And I went over there letting her know very proudly that the nature boy would like to talk to you. She walked over, and he opened the door, and he was completely naked with his, you know, his 45-inch dick or whatever he had sticking out. And he said, darling, can you put a sock on this? And he laughed. He shut the door, and she was like, oh, my God. And uh, that's a memory. Did you just say that Ric Flair had a 45-inch penis? It, you know, I have nothing to compare it to because mine is like... A the, button on a fur coat? Well, yes. I was going to say the last piece of Vienna sausage left in the can. What? Sparrow's egg and a bird's nest. <laughs> Let me write this down. A button on a fur coat. Uh, Shout out to Cassie Akia yeah, for that one. That was the first time I had seen Flair's penis. And, of course, after that, we all saw on a regular basis. Uh, but um, Speaking of Flair's penis, did you were you there at Sabatino's when he put a candle in the head? No, I may have been. I don't know. Supposedly it was someone at WCW's wife's birthday. Yeah. He yeah. wanted to celebrate after a show. Right. Inserted a candle. Really? And, and, lit it. Yeah. Came out and told her to blow the candle out. Really? I, that... That, that would that surprise anybody that knows him? Did you ever see him tie balloons to it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you believe these are real sentences? <laughs> like, it sounds like I'm making this up. I, I know. They, but I've I, had multiple people. What yeah. candle? What about the balloons? It's I, like, I, yeah. Yeah. He, so, you know, Arn called it the baby's arm. Holding an apple. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it ceased shocking us. Later, as we went along, because, as Arn says, name one person in this business that hasn't seen your dick. And he probably couldn't. 
Yeah, you've challenged me on this before because uh, I'm supposedly good friends with Rick, but I, I've I've never yeah. seen the baby maker, and I, I'm not going to ask okay. to remedy that. I, uh, uh, I I think he's uh, he's probably settled down. I'm at, at 68 years old. I, I'm sure, I'm sure he has, and if he's hadn't, God bless him. Uh, one time, oh boy, you really want to hear this story? Don't yeah, you? yeah, <laughs> yeah. One time. He called me. This was not the St. Louis Marriott story. One time he called me and said, come on down here. And when he would do that, you would think. What is down there? What what am I getting myself into? Right. But we all loved Rick. So I went to his room, and he opened the door. And when he opened the door, the first thing that peeked out was the baby's arm in full erection mode. And he opened the door, naked, with a glass of champagne in his hand. And he said, I have nothing to hide. Come on in here. And there was a a party girl on the bed. Now define party girl. Well, a girl that the guys knew. Okay. You know. She's, I, no, she's a friendly lady. Friendly lady. Not, not okay. On the, on the bed, and Blair was so drunk. He he got down on one side of the bed, and I was standing there like a fucking idiot. He got down on one side of the bed, had put his drink down, and was going to work on it. And the only thing I could see above this girl's bush was Blair's big big nose. Oh my god! <laughs> okay, and. He was so drunk, his eyes were starting to drift, okay? And he apparently was doing a good job because she moaned, and I was on the other side, and she reached for me, and she grabbed me by the pants, and I jerked away because I'm thinking smartly that if she's had the baby's arm, my being a sausage ain't going to come anywhere near. I got to leave. I said, Rick, I got to go. I walked out of the room. You're looking at me like you don't believe that story. It's true. This person is. God bless him. God bless him. He was was the Ric Flair you saw on TV. was the Ric Flair you knew in real life. Somewhat. So you Eiffel Towered a chick with Ric Flair. (laughs) No, I did not. I walked out of the room. Okay. A button on a fur coat. <laughs> All right. So so the only reason you didn't cheat on your wife that night yeah. is because you were ashamed of your penis. Yeah, it's a party girl, too. I mean, Jesus. What is it? I mean, you know. Come on. If I was going to cheat on my wife, it would have been like... Uh, Never Sam- Michael. No, Salma Hayek, Scarlett Johansson, something like that. Hypothetically. Hypothetically. Something that's worth it. Not only that. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Not only that, boy, I have no idea why we went down this. Not only that, you know, my wife kind of, and it didn't take long, kind of weaned me off women. She really did. She always said, You're going to probably get yourself a girlfriend. I said, No, I don't want another fucking woman in my life. You're nuts. They're all nuts. I don't need another nuts person in my life. 
you know, my life has always been, Conrad, to kind of just stay away from the fray. It has. And a lot of times Flair pulled me into that fray, and I exit the stage. Now, Flair has some stories about me, I'm sure. Whether you believe him or not is up to you. About the button and the fur coat? <laughs> He just has some stories about me because did you uh, did you ever wear a robe? No. Did you ever put the belt on while you were working? <laughs> oh God, you did. <laughs> Which belt was it when you were working? Did you get the hot tag? <laughs> oh my life! Oh my life! This is where we are. <laughs> this is where we are. Yeah. Okay. Who'd have thought when that was happening? There was a toddler you didn't know yet that you would meet one day at his house in Huntsville, and he would cross-examine you for 200,000 people to listen to. Cross-examine me. Okay. Um, what's your best drinking story with the horseman? Best drinking story with the horseman? Yeah. It has to be, uh, I don't know with the horseman, but Barry Wyndham would routinely get me very drunk. And, and. And Barry was big, you know, tall and could take a lot more alcohol than I could. I wasn't as big back then as I am now. What was y'all's drink of choice? Uh, his was whatever he could to get me drunk. I remember he would say, Shivani, we're going to start with watermelon shooters. And then we would go to Star Spangled Banners. What is that? It's just some fucking shooters that he made up. I don't know. Uh, and then we would have, uh, I don't know what else we had, but we would just... You know, a lot of times, if you hung out with the horsemen and just, uh, with Wyndham and Flair and that, you know, a lot of these bars, they have these high bar tables, these little round tables. Yeah. I remember tables just filled up with shots. Mm -hmm. and, a tray full. Yeah. Or a, a table full. Yeah. Just the whole table was filled up and Flair would call you over and boom, boom, boom. You you do it and Wyndham would call you over and, you know, they could take their alcohol a lot better than I could. How many times have you drank with flair to the point where you had to throw up? Uh, More or less than 10? Less. Good for you. Yeah, less. Because I, I did a lot of the drinking with flair and partying with flair uh, in the early, in the 80s. And then I went to the WWF. And when I was with the WWF, I got to travel with Vince on each plane. And so I was removed from the boys for that entire year. Then I came back and I did a little bit of it then and the you know the the, the st louis marriott story and it was in the early 90s but then i just got away from it after that so vince was flying private in 89 yeah um what did vince drink on the plane i can't remember scotch yeah it may, it may have been scotch. Dewar, doers white label yeah that probably would sound right that yeah. would be the, the drink or red wine uh, yeah like that. and we always had nice nice catered food and if bruce was on those flights yeah. Kevin Dunn. I was on the flights a lot because I had to get back a lot of times to to get the video cassettes, you know, done. Compare traveling with uh Jim Crockett on Crockett's plane and Vince on Vince's. Uh Crockett's plane was mostly the boys. I just mean the demeanor, the way it was handled, um, the topic of conversation. The mood. Yeah, okay. The mood was always on Vince's about business, what we could have done better, where we're going to go from here. You know, I I, I, I fucked up. I was, along with Bruce, probably a, was going to be in 
one of his contracts. I don't know. Maybe that would have been a bad thing down the road, but he asked me uh, my opinion on a lot of things, which I gave, uh, and I gave that up. But it was more. Why did you give that up? Didn't want to move to Connecticut. Didn't want to live. Didn't want to live in Connecticut any longer. It was not good. Well, it, I'm sorry. It was extremely expensive. We had five kids, and we had five kids five and under when we lived in Connecticut. And we we had to rent a house because I couldn't afford to, to buy one. How old were you when you discovered pulling out of Connecticut? Of Lois. Okay. Uh, Lois, man, Lois was like a wild woman. She always just. Five kids under five is yeah, fuck. I mean. I know. Woo. Yeah, I know. You didn't have cable or. No, well, we, we had Matt in 82. And then Laurie came around in 84. And then Chris was in 85. And that was like turn around quick. And I remember us saying, you need to get a vasectomy. We got three, and that's all we want. And then, then we had twins. And so, yeah. So you went and got uh, your button cut. No, no she she had a, a yeah. tub- tubal lig- ligation, lig- whatever. Roll tight. <laughs> uh, so it was free shots on goal after that. Yeah, if yeah, it was free shots on goal. If you even wanted to play the game. <laughs> if you even felt like dropping the puck. Um, you know, you... the longer you, you're married, the more your wife, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to say this because Lois and I get along now better than ever. We really do. That's, we don't have any kids at the house, and that helps out. Uh, but the longer you're married, the more she is your sister than your wife. Yeah. I really think so. So. And I was also married a long time because I always, I believed in kayfabe. Manning. What stayed on the road, stayed on the road. Oh, you didn't come home and tell. No, no, yeah. absolutely not. Till here. Yeah. And well, now, no, now, no, now no. she's too old to understand the podcast. Well, so it works. no, well, she's old, but, uh, I just didn't, I didn't talk about the business. I didn't, she didn't question me about the business. It was my it was work. It was work. The way it is now with the baseball team, it's work. We don't really don't talk about it. Rick, Rick Rude told Kevin Nash once, never bring your wife around the business because then she'll realize it's bullshit. And right. We're all just having fun and fucking right. around. Right. Whereas, as it is now, right. she thinks you're going to work. Right. And it's serious and yeah. it's not right. drinking beer and hanging out. And if one guy did something wrong, if one guy cheated. Then everybody does. It spreads yeah, like wildfire. Exactly. It, the shit that he causes flies on everybody yeah so you just didn't talk about it who who smartened you up to that i think i always knew that okay i think i i really think and i know this when jimmy crockett brought me in and said what you see here in the backstage area stays here and brought me in the back and i saw that kayfabe was with me finally broken i respected that and i always wanted to do that i I really did and i always wanted to and so that's just the kind of way it was. We just didn't talk about it. Because there were guys out there that were doing a lot of crazy things. And it was nobody's business but their own. I wasn't a stooge. You look at me like I'm a stooge. No, I don't think you're a stooge at all. I do yeah. think you're a stooge if you're paying full price at the supermarket when you could be going to blueapron.com, though, don't you? 
I I would agree with that. As a matter of fact, uh, Lois, my wife slash sister, <laughs> and I uh, have been enjoying Blue Apron now for about four to five weeks. And uh, a couple of things we like about it, uh, Conrad, is that there are fresh ingredients. It is not prepackaged. Uh, you get the fresh ingredients, and you actually make the food yourself. And husband and wife can together in the kitchen make food themselves. And it brings people together. And it's really helped. I really think it's helped our marriage because now we don't have to argue what do you want to eat. And now we don't have to settle for going to Arby's and getting something that's probably not good for us. We're getting fresh food that we make in the kitchen. And it's really good. We love every bit of it. Now, I want to remind all of our uh, podcast slapdicks that you can check out this week's menu, get your first three meals free with free shipping. Here's how you do it. You go to blueapron.com slash Tony. You love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible, and let me say this again, fresh home-cooked meals. With Blue Apron, don't wait, blueapron.com forward slash Tony, and get on board like Lois and Tony have done in their lives. So one of the things I think we can all get on board with is um, the NWO. Yeah. And that it really changed WCW forever, but uh, some would argue not for the best. Specifically, Ric Flair was not a fan of the NWO. He says, killed the fucking business. Nobody ever got any heat on them. There was no payoff, you know. There's some validity to that. And he thinks that the war games in Winston-Salem, where they smashed his head, yeah, killed North Carolina for WCW forever. Uh, right. uh, what say you? In the end, obviously there's pluses and minus with everything in life. Would you consider the NWO as the catalyst to help reach the heights, but then also bring it down? Where do you classify the NWO? You no, know, I, I think there's a there's a lot to say about what Rick had to say about it. Uh, let's go back to our our very first episode or our second episode after Goldberg uh, sold out. Mm-hmm. In theory, on paper, talking about it, it sounded pretty good, but in its execution. We realized that it was a miss. It was a miss because it was all heel pay per view, and people don't want to see an all heel pay per view. In the in what Rick, Rick was, Rick is very old school, as we know, and in the old school scheme of things, the NWO probably didn't work, but it worked because it brought a lot of attention to our company. It sold tons of merchandise, and it was a neat thing it got us on uh, jay leno the tonight show yeah it was a hip thing it was a hip thing not only in wrestling but it was a hip mainstream thing in pop culture in pop culture so it was good in that way as far as the old theory of the business heels baby faces probably wasn't good it was one of the things but wasn't the main thing i think that led to our downfall yeah, I mean, obviously what leads to the downfall ultimately in the end is cash. I mean, yeah, um, just, you know, financial mismanagement. 
Kyle on Twitter wants to know who was one wrestler or tag team. He thought, damn, we really dropped the ball on them. Well, when, uh, when the diamond stud went to the WWF and became oh, yeah. razor Ramon with all the same gimmicks, pretty yeah, much. exactly. Uh, but I think the one by far was stunning Steve Austin. Oh yeah. I yeah. could argue that. Yeah. But be- becoming stone cold. That was, he was a major star. He was just another guy with us. That was the one that we dropped the ball on more than anything. Any stories about uh, working with Mike Graham and WCW? We mentioned him a little bit on last week's episode about Great American Bash 91. Yeah. You referenced the fact that he was a really good agent. Yeah. Uh, anything else? Anything stick out? You know, I didn't know that Mike killed himself until a couple of years ago. Yeah. And he killed himself a number of years back. His father killed himself. I, I never saw Mike as a as a guy who was depressed or upset about anything. He was pretty much, I do remember we were in, uh, he had a wife or a girlfriend and we were in Savannah. And this was the clash of the champions in Savannah. And I was in the room next to him and they were in a Titanic argument, big time argument. And he was cutting a promo on her. Like I've never heard. And the next day I told him, I said, I should have been taking notes because that was one of the greatest promos I've ever heard in my life. Uh, was nothing violent going on in there, but just, just the way he was. Right. My, Mike, that is just an example. Mike could probably do Mike was a pretty decent worker. He didn't have much size, so he probably wasn't a big star. He was a, a, a very good worker, could cut promos, was believable, and he could really – what he could he could instruct people. Mm-hmm. A perfect example: Ted Williams was the greatest hitter of all time, but he couldn't instruct anybody how to hit. He could do it himself. He couldn't teach. Mike was good at what he did, and he could teach as well. So he worked in the power plant as well. Uh, Brandon on Twitter wants to know Tony's recommendation for the best best WCW matches of all time. So obviously, you know, we're not going to make you put a list together and say, this is one, two, three, just throw us a couple of your favorite WCW matches. You're talking WCW or NWA? WCW. WCW. Uh, that's very, very difficult to do. Uh, there were a lot of great matches with flying Brian and stunning Steve as tag team. Uh, first thing I think of is rock and roll express midnight express, but that was Mm -hmm. more old NWA than it was WCW. Some early WCW. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, No one could perform like Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat together. Mm -hmm. No one could. They They, wrestled in uh, 94 spring stampede. Spring stampede. That was our last pay-per-view before Hogan arrived. Uh, They, they loved each other. Flair had made Steamboat a star back in the seventies. Steamboat was phenomenal. Flair was phenomenal. Uh, And, uh, that was the great one. greatest match I ever saw, ever saw as a fan. I think we have talked about this was Flair and Greg Valentine against, uh, the Anderson brothers, mm-hmm. the Greensboro Coliseum back in 1978. Greatest match I ever saw. Four way blood switched the titles from the Andersons to Flair and Valentine. Just tremendous. Absolutely tremendous. Don't can't tell you any of the high spots. Just remember the impact. I Just had. remember the impact it had on me. 
And I remember my friend saying so-and-so. See, I'm the type of person, and you probably know this by now, I would rather see a well-worked match with a great storyline than a bunch of fucking high spots. Yeah. And that's what we've gotten into now. Uh, I can't tell you that there's been a lot of, back in the Nitro era, I don't know how many great matches we had in the Nitro era because what I thought was a great match a lot of times would have been like 45 minutes double blood, you know, and then we got into, you know, a lot of quick matches back then and a lot of high spots back then. So I, I wasn't really a fan of a lot of the a lot of the stuff we did in the ring back then as far as working is concerned. I like to consider myself a very old school guy. Uh, on Twitter, we have a question that says, heard Tony say he never got paid for the acclaimed video game. Yeah. How in the world did that happen? They went out of business. They went bankrupt. And not Chapter 11. They, they had to sell off everything. Wow. And uh, I remember being told I was going to, I went to, we went to Cincinnati a couple of times. Me and Heenan went, me and Zabisco went and uh, went a couple of times, did the work and doing work for video games. Very, very difficult work, believe it or not. Now you're probably saying, you know, you just sit on your ass and you read stuff, but they would give us uh, a script the size of a freaking city phone book. And you would have to read lines with different inflections to be able to what they called stitch them together. Uh, and so it was, it was an all day work. So we did a lot of work and I remember not getting paid for it when I was told I was going to get paid for it. And then saying, well, listen, if I don't get paid for it, I'm not coming back and do it again. They convinced me to come back and do it again. The only thing I ever got from them was two things. Actually, I got, uh, like a $150 expense check from them. And I guess they were trying to pay off whatever they could. And then when the company went belly up and it went bankrupt, I got a check from whatever the the courts were like $200. So that's all I got. So a claim went belly up. And, uh, I, and I got to them the wrong time. Any stories about the punk band, the Misfits in WCW? Uh, they were pretty good guys. They, they were big wrestling fans. Good guys. Uh, Vampiro was a pretty good guy as well. Uh, they were odd, but I guess uh, that's what they liked. That was their gimmick. But, yeah, I liked them. Pretty good guys. Friend of the show, Jay-Z, wants to know, is Tony a belt mark? If so, what's his favorite belt? Uh, the ones draped over his wife's shoulders on the pictures they send us. This Jay-Z guy is nuts, isn't he? He is nuts. He is nuts. My favorite belt, I like the uh, the the world championship belt that, that Flair took with him to the, the WWE. The big gold. The big gold belt. Yeah. But I also, I, there are two other belts that I really like. I like the old Harley Race World Championship belt. The uh, the domed globe NWA. Right. And uh, with, the, with the country's flags on, you know. Yeah. It. And I also liked, and this is when I first started liking wrestling, the old Jim Crockett United States Heavyweight Championship belt, which was like a red, le- a red belt. With in gold, just an outline of the oh, United States. Yeah, yeah. But so, Snuka and Flair held. Yeah. Right, right. Those were the belts I liked more than any. I think those three. Well, no matter what belt you like, you can go to leatherbydan.com and get a great deal on a great belt. Am I right? You are, and and you know what makes it so great is that Dan can make these belts to your specifications. For only nine ninety nine, you can get a belt made for whatever you want. Now I. 
I, I'm sure there were some people out there that probably ordered a belt from Leather by Dan and gave it to the winner of their bracket in the NCAA tournament. I'm sure. Great, great idea that would have been. We, my, my son, Matt, flew in from New York to Atlanta. He and his group always get together to do fantasy baseball. And I think they've ordered the belt for their fantasy baseball champion. Wow. And you, you just keep the belt from year to year, right? Just hand it off. Yeah, we, we, we did that for uh, fantasy football at First Family Mortgage. And uh, we went to leatherbyden.com. I got yeah. the hookup, nine ninety nine, And you can even upgrade the dual plating for a small charge, too. And What's important to remember is Dan can get this thing done for you with free shipping. It even takes payment plans. You don't have to have the whole nine ninety nine up front. You can actually make installments and he's going to get it to you pretty fast. Other folks say, well, we're not sure when we can get you a belt. Dan can get you a belt in 10 to 12 weeks. Wow. And, uh, how can leather by Dan do that? Because Dan is the fucking man, Conrad. Exactly you understand right. what I'm saying? I got you. Dan is the fucking man. And he means custom all the way like you like it. I've got the uh, podcast champion uh, ship belt. We've got a husband of the year, a wedding belt. Oh, husband of the year. I need that. Well, that's a rib. Uh, lots of different belts for you to check out over at leatherbydan.com. If you're looking for the perfect stocking stuffer for Mr. Tony Schiavone, he would love a Deborah McMichael belt. Am I right? No, a husband of the year. How about, how about put up with Lois's shit? Champion of the world. I like it. Yeah. Because if you've been married as long as I have, you've got to put up with a lot of shit. I mean, that's kind of what marriage is. Yeah, it is. Uh, Mikey on Twitter wants to know, what would Klondike Bill do for a Klondike bar? <laughs> Klondike Bill would probably... Uh, pro- Klondike Bill would probably participate in Cunnilingus for 24 hours. That's a commitment. Yeah, for Klondike bar. Um, when did you first hear the phrase, <laughs> no hair, no flair, uh, flair told me that in a, uh, in a limousine one time, hmm. he said, no hair, no flair, buddy. I don't want to even see him without any hair. Bobby Heenan once told him when they went to an, uh, a gentleman's club, <laughs> something like. I don't know what she's so proud of walking around here with a torn pocket. (laughs) (laughs) Never heard that before. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Did you ever, uh, do you remember the end of the Coliseum videos that Lord Alfred Hayes would give out a address? Where did those letters go? If you wrote Coliseum video, they went to the Coliseum video had a office in New York city. Okay. Yeah. So who would have gotten that? The porn people? Because Bruce has told us that that's really. Yeah. They started in porn. Yeah. I told, uh, I had a, uh, a very good friend of mine at the time. His name is, uh, I tried to call him recently and he's, he's changed his phones. Marty Applebaum. Uh, that sounds like a porn name. Okay. No, Marty was a, a, a businessman, but he worked for Coliseum videos. Marty and I worked closely together. And I remember telling Marty, I said, Marty, can you get me in to, to see a porn being shot? I, that would be interesting. He said, yeah, if you really want to, but it's really boring. I said, really? He said, yeah, it is. And it was through Coliseum Video that I first heard of the term fluffers. Okay. 
So that's uh, the equivalent of a dark match. <laughs> <laughs> They're working, but nobody's seeing it. <laughs> okay. Uh, and it was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was Coliseum video. They were, I, I, I love the guys at Coliseum video. I, I can tell. It. Really did. They were nice guys. Uh, did you make any fluffers? No, no, no. I'm a happily married man. Did you introduce Rick to any fluffers? Rick probably had plenty of fluffing done in his day. Uh, tell us what it was like to be stuck in the middle of dusty roads and Bobby Heenan doing commentary. That comes from us from Ron on Twitter. It was hilarious. There's a there's a cut out there on uh, on YouTube of the mafia kick. Oh yeah, yeah. And Dusty said he just kicked him right in the mush, and he and he didn't start doing their routine back and forth, and it, it was it was hilarious being able to work with them funny two of the funny i mean you two of the great talkers funniest guys in the business who wouldn't love that jake on twitter wants to know any good memories of the utc arena in chattanooga well there's the time you electrocuted abdul the butcher <laughs> when he watched the wrong show last week you know what on that show the wwe and i watched it on the wwe network and it wasn't one of those turner home entertainment videos that was cut to two hours this was the whole the real deal the whole Real deal. At the beginning of it, there was a disclaimer that uh, the WWE, this is something that was videotaped a long time ago. It does not represent the WWE. They they're, they were worried about us electrocuting someone uh-huh. as, and why they did the disclaimer. And I remember, I remember uh, Dusty saying at that time, he said, that electrocution of, of uh, Abdullah the Butcher was a hell of a visual, and he's right. If you watch again, you go, "Shit, that was." But it was it was such a it was such a fucked up match from the word go. And if you watch it, you'll notice that the the throw switch was in the off position, but every time they hit the cage, it would fall down to the on position. So finally, they had to have one of the referees on the outside tape it up. As the match went on, you'd see a referee climb up and put some gaffers there. Yeah, WCW, and uh, the. Uh, the uh, the cage, the door for the the actual chamber, the the elect- electrocution chamber, had a pull ring on it, and th- they brought the guys out there and say, "Listen," and they pulled the ring, and that thing went bam. And they said, "If you if you've got a leg or something in here, or and you pull it down, you're going to break a leg, or you could break your neck." And you didn't see it. But you heard it, how it would hit, how it was Jimmy. It was it was a very dangerous thing. It really was. I don't know how, <laughs> but that's what I remember about the UTC arena more than anything else. Uh, Doug on Twitter wants to know, gun to your head, Deborah, Missy, Medusa, or Miss Hancock? So it's Deborah, Missy, Medusa, or Miss Hancock? Gun to my head? Gun to your head. Medusa. Wow. <clears throat> didn't expect that one uh medusa's a legit tough girl legit tough girl and i told her that i would do the job for her <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh i you know i talked to medusa a year ago on the phone yeah i i, I all those girls i love medusa 
lover. What was the most popular merchandise uh, backstage for the boys? Is there anything that you remember the guys getting really excited about? Like, hey, I've got an action figure, I'm in a video game, or I've got a t-shirt. Was there one piece that you know? Um, I think the video. I, I think the video game because we got a lot of money for that. Yeah, a lot of money. Even I got a good chunk of money for that. Uh, to the point to where the problem was that they would fly guys out to Vancouver. We were talking about the EA Sports video games. Fly guys out to Vancouver. And uh, the guys at times were difficult to work with, the people at EA Sports. EA Sports people did a lot for us, and we didn't give them exactly what they gave us. And they were, they were bitter about it at times. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, I, think the, I think the video games were the biggest deal for us, all of us, no question. Um, Bill on Twitter wants to know, is it true that one man gang got fired for not putting over PN news? Yes, it's true. Uh, what's the one match you wish you could have called? Uh, I wish I could have called, uh, in their prime, Ric Flair against Hulk Hogan at Madison Square Garden. That would have been awesome. Yeah. Um, William on Twitter wants to know who came up with the names of WCW pay-per-views in 2001. That was, uh, 2001 greed, sin, shit like that. Yeah. That was, um, Vince or so. Yeah. I was trying to, I was trying not to blame Vince for that, but. No, it's not a bad thing. Okay. I mean, he was probably going with a theme, Seven yeah. Deadly Sins or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, Drew on Twitter wants to know about the time the Crockett's bought the Kansas City Territory. Did the boys crap on it, and did you interact with Bob Geigel? I had lunch with Bob Geigel many years ago in Kansas City. Uh, I don't know if the boys crapped on it. It was bought specifically to get the TV. That's what it was bought for. If you look at some of the old Bob Geigel shows, it was really shit TV. It was a one-camera shoot. And uh, and that goes back to why one of the reasons Vince succeeded when others didn't was that Vince went out and put a lot of money in production. His shows were a lot slicker than anybody else's. And comparatively, if you are a uh, a television program director in Kansas City and you look at Vince's show, you look at Bob Geigel's one-camera shoot, there was no comparison. Right. So I think that was an up, uptick. But I only met Bob like once or twice. Did you ever go to uh, Michael's of Kansas City? Yes, that's where we had lunch. Really? Yeah. I'm talking about the suit store. That no. Flair was talking about all the time. Oh, no. Never went there? No. Then I don't know. I've never been there. But there was a very famous restaurant downtown Kansas City. Michael's? Restaurant. Okay. I don't know if it's Michael's or not now. Yeah. But that's what I thought you were alluding yeah, yeah. to. But uh, we, we went there and it was really. Flair come out on TV and show the inside of his jacket. Right. Spin around. Talk Michael's, about whatever you think calls. Yeah. So I'm sure you had some sort of deal hooked up. Yeah. But, I'm sure he did. Um, Chris on Twitter wants to know, were there any personal goals you had back in the day you weren't able to accomplish, but you wish you could have? Uh, any personal goals back in the day as far as a wrestling announcer is concerned? Or just in the business? Well, in the business. Uh, I, 
I wish, I, I, I kind of wish, I, we've talked about this before, I kind of wish I would have been able to go back to the WWE as a producer. Mm-hmm. I, I, love, I love sitting down and editing up stuff and coming up with ideas for shows. Not necessarily booking things in the ring, but taking what's been shot and making videos out of it or make vignettes out of it or things like that. Is it intriguing to you the idea... Obviously, this isn't something that's been discussed. We're just freestyling. But what if, would you entertain the idea if they approached you and said, hey, we want to turn you loose on the network? Yeah. And let you work on this stuff. Because I feel like you would have a a better grasp than a lot of folks would. Yeah. And as a lifelong wrestling fan, you were there for a lot of it. And you know what you liked and we liked and blah, blah, blah. I would do that in a minute. Yeah. But that would never happen because of me pissing off Vince when I left, number one, and number two, and Bruce can even vouch for that. He knew what happened when I left. He was right in the middle of it. Uh, Number two is, in their eyes, I'm too old. They need young, hip, millennial types to be able to put that shit together. Well, you wouldn't have to do, you wouldn't have to necessarily be on camera to do that. No, I'm I'm talking about build hip videos Hmm. with the, uh, with all the bells and whistles and they have today when in reality i can build a hip video just as well as anyone else that's what it is it's like i work for i work for wsb my last couple of years for wsb mm-hmm. uh they stopped doing really stopped doing sports i was still their sports guy I did one sports cast a morning and they moved me into into web to web work well i became a web producer and i could produce the web as well as any of them and I had we had three other people on our staff, and they were all kids. They brought a new guy in who was a kid, and they got rid of me because I was too old. In reality, I could do any bit of web design. What, well, any any of those people could do. What did you produce when you say you did web stuff? Like, what do you mean? It was uh, you, online videos and such. It was some of that. You just basically designed the. It was wsbradio.com, and you just positioned the the stories what you thought were the best stories and headlines and stayed on top of things in the newsroom. And, but again, there's a, and I'm not going to say I'm ancient right now. I'm getting that way. And actually, so are you. Uh, but there's a, there's a, uh, there's out there a, a wrong assumption that people in my age cannot do what the millennials can do. And I'll say bullshit. I can outwork any millennial, number one, and what I don't know, I can learn quickly. And I'm willing to learn. Work ethic is what it is. You understand? Right. Work ethic. I don't disagree. And you have that. And, um, I think you would do great on yeah. the network. I'd like to see you do something well, there. That'll never happen. But anyway, that's always what I wanted to do. Uh, Chris on Twitter wants to know your thoughts on Bischoff's treatment of Flair. We've all heard that uh, Bischoff called a big meeting and you know kind of ran Flair into the ground a few times. What's your thoughts on the way Bischoff handled that? Uh, I ran him into the ground. Well, I mean, allegedly he said something like, you know, nobody here ever drew a dime except Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, and, and Roddy Piper. Right. And Flair sitting right there. Okay. And then the I, didn't, I wasn't at that meeting. 
uh, allegedly another time I'm going to sue Ric Flair in a personal bankruptcy. Okay. Blah, blah, blah. Right. And that's the basis of the lawsuit that yeah. went back and forth. And, right. Uh, Bischoff has since admitted, Hey, I was in the wrong for that. I should have handled that better. Yeah. Uh, I wish I had that one to do over again and they're okay. And they're good friends now, yeah. but at the time, yeah, I thought Eric, a lot of times said things amongst people that he, he didn't need to say that the boss of a company didn't need to say just a show yeah. too much emotion. Yeah. I, uh, when Eric got the job, uh, Eric and his wife and Lois and I went out to dinner that night. And I talked to him, and I said, you're going to change. And he said, you know, he was just one of the announcers then. He said, no, I'm not. I said, yes, you are. You're going to change. And he said, how so? I said, you got to change. You can't be one of the boys now. You, you've got to be the boss. Your relationship with me is going to change. It's going to change to everybody else. And, boy, and boy, did it ever. <laughs> uh, and uh, he said some things, and, and I, I think I said on one of these programs, where Eric said at a team meeting, that he would not rest until he drove a stake to Vince McMahon's heart. Yeah. I can understand that. Uh, uh, Business-wise, you want to beat him. But you don't need to say that to everybody. Right. Especially say that when all the boys are around. It's going to get out everywhere. Yeah. Because it'll come back to bite you. Uh, so he said a lot of things that he shouldn't have said out of, I don't know. I don't know if he was on the power trip. I don't know if he just didn't know when to shut up. You know. Some people had that. He was pretty good at it at times. But some people have that thing in their head that doesn't stop them from saying there's no filter no yeah. filter terry taylor was like that terry had no filter just blurted out whatever he's thought which in some situations is not not a bad thing but sometimes you got to filter yourself and yeah you know, be a little more political right uh nathan on twitter wants to know what'd you make of the logo change in 99 yeah i thought it was horrible yeah i, th- I don't know anybody who liked it yeah i know what eric wanted to do he thought, I mean, we go back to what is still the greatest logo in all of marketing, which is the Nike logo, which is a logo that when you see it, you understand what it is. Mm-hmm. That's what he wanted. I don't think he got what he wanted, but he went with it. Uh, I didn't like it at all. Not at all. Uh, George on Twitter wants to know, did you have any interaction with Harley Race at Starcade 83? Uh, just to the point to where I was in the locker room, I think I did an interview with a bunch of the guys bunch of the heels at that time and he was there uh and i was pretty much awestruck you know being i mean here i was a little you know a kid and a he's ki- a kid and here all, all of a sudden i was backstage with the champ Steam, yeah the champ flair steamboat and dusty was back there as well so i was pretty uh i had butterflies that day um Apparently, I, I never heard this. Right. Um, there's a question on here on Twitter from the Electric Horseman who says Goldberg and Ming threw down in a hotel lobby. I never heard that. Story. I never heard that. No. There's a lot of shit out there, you know. George on Twitter wants to know uh, any good Billy Jack's Billy Jack Haynes stories besides Black Blood, but you told last week on the uh, show. Billy Jack Haynes in Starcade '85, '86. Wrestle Wahoo McDaniel for the U.S. title at the Omni, and he drove back with me that night uh, because he wanted to get back, and I drove back from Atlanta. And uh, he and I got to talking. He was a very reserved but nice guy, but he was fired like two weeks later because 
he was not happy with the payoff. Mm. And he threatened to beat Jimmy Crockett's ass. Well, there you go. Okay, and they 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 walked him out. They walked him out the office that day. I mean, it wasn't to where you sit down and have a man to man talk about the argument. It. I don't know if it got physical or not, but he was gonna he was going to harm Jimmy Crockett that day. And so that was the end of Billy Jack Hayden. Well, after, well, after that well. Starcade. George on Twitter wants to know, uh, you called the Atlanta part of Starcade 86 with Rick Stewart. Who was he? Rick Stewart? That's what he says. I thought I called the Atlanta part of Starcade with Bob Cottle in the back. George, I'm sorry, Doug Garrison on Twitter wants to know, uh, was Varsity Club versus the Horseman ever discussed? No. Wait now, a minute, Rick Stewart. See, I'm... Um, Rick Stewart did some stuff for Bob Geigel, I believe. And I believe I did some work with him. Was an uh, announcer with uh, Bob Geigel. So, that's the only thing I can remember. Uh, Yeah, he was uh, uh, an interviewer in Atlanta, according to my notes here. Interviewer in Atlanta, okay. The Atlanta leg. All right. Um, See, I don't, I don't remember Rick Stewart. So for you out there in Twitter land that says Shimani doesn't remember, remember anything, ha-ha, you're right, fuck you. All right, next. Doug Garrison also wants to know, uh, who would have made the perfect horseman member that never was? Uh, wow. That is a good question. It is. Yeah, that's that's a great question. Probably... Probably the Stone Cold Steve Austin version of Steve Austin. Um, Mikey on Twitter wants to know, was it a rib that one of the luchadors was named Silver King, which is a brand of refrigerator? <laughs> uh, no, I, I thought it was a real name. That, that's what they use, the luchadors use. I don't think it was a rib. Matt on Twitter wants to know, was it possible that your late segment rundowns were by design to avoid political changes? No. Willie on Twitter wants to know, were you there when Rick Reed beat the shit out of PN news? <laughs> I was not. I've heard it was an open hand slap. Was it? Yeah, I was not there. I was there and I've been well documented. The Paul Orndorff yep. and, and uh, Vader, but I was not there for that one. Andrew, uh, Rick Rude was a, uh, you know, a legitimate tough guy. Too. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Andrew Willett on Twitter wants to know what was your reaction when you found out the WWF was bringing in Mike Tyson? Uh, I just thought it was another WWF cross promotion way of capitalizing on pop culture. They did it better than anybody else. Willie on Twitter wants to know, did you keep an eye on the flair funk feud when you were in the WWF? Uh, I saw the match that they had from, uh, New York knockout clash of champions. Right. Quit. Right. I saw that, but we, we didn't, I, I didn't keep up with them that much. I kind of ignored it. Did you watch the steamboat trilogy? Did not. Have you seen it yet? I've not. You've not watched the three matches with flair and steamboat from 89. No, I have not. God damn. Who are you? <laughs> uh, I've we, got, you know, I got a lot going on. No, you don't. Yeah, I do. Well, I'm making you watch that one day. Okay. Is it on the network? Yeah. It is. Okay. For only nine ninety nine. Okay. Let me ask you this one. What was the better match? A steamboat flare match 
or Steamboat and Macho Man and, Re- and uh, WrestleMania three? Um, Steamboat and Macho Man at WrestleMania three. Yeah, maybe the greatest match ever. Maybe. Uh, I, I actually prefer Bret Hart and Steve Austin for WrestleMania thirteen. Okay, but uh, that WrestleMania three match is definitely on everybody's short list. Yeah, it's got to be. No question. All right. Um, so I thought I put your ass on the spot. I appreciate it. Gareth on Twitter wants to know if you had to go to WWE, what brand would you want to go to raw SmackDown or NXT? I wouldn't mind going to NXT just to work in the backstage and help the kids out. Yeah. With their interviews or whatever. Young commentators, young commentators. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dan Curley had a great question. Maybe one of my favorites. Cause you know, I've never talked about this. What is Tony's prized keepsake from his days in the wrestling business? Uh, I have an old Jim Crockett promotions blazer that had JCP on it. Holy shit. Yeah. I've, I've got that. Do you know where it is? Yeah. It's, yeah. Will you tweet a picture out? If I can find it's in, uh, it's in all my keepsake stuff in the attic, but yeah, that's fucking awesome. Yeah. Dick Bourne listening to this right now. And yeah. I would love to see that. Yeah. That was an old blue blazer. I think I may have worn that on the early Starcade uh, control centers and stuff like that. Uh, I want to state clearly on the record. I got dibs. Don't email Tony trying to buy it because okay. I, I just claimed it. Right. Um, it won't. It wouldn't fit anymore. Well, I'm it, gonna, you I'm, couldn't button it up, so you know. I just want to frame it. That's right. awesome. Yep. The good old days. Um, what was your favorite part of the, your WWE run? Any shows you called interactions, whatever that yeah. comes to us from Jared. Yeah, I've mentioned this many times, and Jared, thanks a lot. Uh, that's I. My favorite part was the day that I worked Madison Square Garden, MSG Network in the afternoon, and then Nesson, New England Sports Network, that night in the Boston Garden. And that's when we did Hogan and Bossman in a cage. In a cage. And we did the same thing that night. They did the superplex off the top of the cage. They only did it one other time. That's when they did it on Saturday night's main event. But that was their first time doing it. And it was my first time working Madison Square Garden. And if you were a kid that grew up, Reading the magazines, the Bill After magazines like I did, MSG was it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So it was my first time in Madison Square Garden. Did it with the Lord Alfred Hayes, who I loved and missed. And that was my member. That is, of all the shit that I've done, that is my single most memorable day in wrestling. That day. Wow. Doing both of them. Because we we quickly got into the limousines or the, the town cars or whatever. And they, they hurried us out. And we... We got on an airplane and uh, flew to Boston to do the, the event that night, then had dinner afterwards and drove back. That was a wonderful night. I thought I was in the big time. You were. I guess I was. Uh, Salvatore on Twitter wants to know, did Lee Marshall wear a wig on the network? His hair looks suspect. Nah, if he did, we didn't notice it. Uh, another question. Do Southerners not get the fact that you swear so much because you're not used to temperamental wops? Uh, I don't even know what that means. Well, the, a WAP is, of course, an Italian, an Italian, like I am, okay? And Salvador's That's off. a slur, though. Yeah, but he, Salvador's a WAP, too, and that's why I can get away with it. <laughs> <laughs> so you are uh, Italian? Yes, I'm Italian. Second generation. From Grand- Georgia? No, grandparents from Italy. North Carolina? Yeah. Virginia. Long story. There's a little Italian village outside of Allentown, Pennsylvania called Rosetta, Pennsylvania. And that's where my grandparents immigrated to from Italy. And dad was 
had a, a job up there, and he moved to Virginia back in the 50s. And that's where he lived and stayed, and that's where they had me. So there you go. Carl Hayes on Twitter says, wrestlers getting attacked, getting out of the car happened a lot. Was that a dusty thing, or who was into that? Yeah, that was a dusty thing. Uh, Carl also wants to know, what's your favorite band, song, or music to listen to around the house? I'm going to assume it's Kiss. I don't listen to Kiss as much as I used to. I listen to a lot of ACDC. I've kind of moved into country music a little bit. I like George Strait, uh, and uh, I like Merle Haggard. I like Eric Church a lot. I guess it's being a Southern thing, you know? Carl on Twitter wants to know, what was your favorite NWA main event and your favorite WCW pay-per-view main event? My favorite NWA main event Mm -hmm. uh, of all time? On pay-per-view. On on pay-per-view. Yeah. Something I could go find on the network. Uh, Read me that question again. Favorite NWA and WCW main event. Oh. NWMW slash or either both. Yeah. I think it my it's not going to be the best match ever, okay? Right. But I I think my favorite NWA main event was uh Starcade Sting and Hogan because of the build up we had Sure. I th- I think we all, we had kind of seen that as the culmination of the big payoff. The big payoff. Yeah. So, you know, and it was in Washington and uh, so that that was probably my favorite. Now, was it the best match ever for a main event? Probably not, but my favorite, yeah. Carl also asked, what middle of the card guy do you think never got the chance, but you think could have gotten over huge? Hmm. Pretty boy Doug Summers. There you <laughs> go. Uh, middle of the card guy that could have gotten he over. He had a bloodbath with Shawn Michaels. Did he? Oh yeah, an AWA. It was really? a tag match. Yeah. It was outstanding. Yeah. Uh, I always liked. I always liked. <laughs> Buzz Tyler. Really? Yes. Earthquake Buzz Tyler. I was there when he quit the business. How'd that go? He was in the back, and he was wanted to do a promo to send to uh, Bob Geigel in uh, Kansas City. He was a Mid-Atlantic champion. He was going to come to Kansas City, Bob Geigel. And he waited patiently in the back. And Gene Anderson, who was the producer back then, always made sure the Crockett shit got done first. And then any other interviews they had to send to any other promotion they would do. And he waited and waited and waited, and he just snapped. He said, I've waited in the back, goddammit, all day. Fuck this place. Fuck this business. I'm gone. And he left with the Mid-Atlantic championship belt. Never wrestled again. He was obviously a little bit angrier about some other things than just that. But that was a straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. Uh, Carl wants to know about the Mulkey brothers. Any good Mulkey brother story? Well, just the one that we've told many times about me and David doing the uh, David doing the interview after they beat the Gladiators and tripped over them and fell, and uh, the silly ass interview that you could probably find on YouTube or on the network. Mulkey Mania, Mulkey Mania, yeah. They they took, you know, the reason the Mulkies were, if job guys can be over, as over as any job guys, they they could take a great ass kicking. They were kind of like rag dolls at times. Uh, and Mark on Twitter wants to know, in your eyes, who was the biggest star WCW ever made? Ever made? Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Sting. Yeah. Flair was a star before then. Hogan was a star before then. But Sting was WCW made. Maybe Goldberg. Yeah, Goldberg. That's another one. Uh, Doug Garrison wants to know, preferred booker, Dusty Rhodes, Kevin Sullivan, or Kevin Nash? Uh, probably Dusty, because I work closer with him than any of the others. See, I don't know if what, what you define as preferred. Like their matches, like their angles, like working with them. And Dusty was the first one I worked with, so that a, a little nostalgia there. Lots of people want to know questions uh, or ask questions about your mustache. Yeah. Can you share anything about your old school porno mustache? Yes. To rock? I can. I, uh, I didn't have a mustache when I started. If you'll recall, uh, the old Starcades didn't have a mustache in 83, but I got a mustache in 84 because when Jimmy Crockett, uh, wanted to put me on with David doing the play-by-play of World Championship Wrestling, uh, he and, and David's the one that came to me. He said, we want you to wear, to grow a mustache and make you look a little bit older, a little bit more mature, because I had a baby face, I guess, back then. So I grew the mustache. They wanted me to do that. Then when I went to the WWF in 89, Vince said to me, Gene Okerlund's got the mustache. We'd like to just have one announcer with a mustache. Will you shave it? And he was like, I guess he had de- dealt with guys who had had big egos about their look. And he was kind of like, do you, would you be willing to do this? And I went, shit, yeah. <laughs> it's no big deal. So I started the mustache. The Crockett's wanted it on TBS. And I shaved it off because Vince wanted it that way. And now I've got a, a beard and mustache after my hero, Conrad Thompson. Well, it's the way to be. Yeah, it is. You always got to have a hero. Uh... It's time. It's the main event. Here's what everybody really wants to hear. We've made you wait for an hour and change to get it. Before we go over next week's poll, XWF stories. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, okay, I, I enjoyed the XWF. I liked working with Lawler. A lot of fun. Uh, that, and that's where, where Heenan first started having problems with his voice too. Okay. I didn't really mean to go into this, but okay. since we're doing it, yeah. Uh, who called you, who put it together? Did you think it was going to be anything? I take it. You did play by play and Heenan did, uh, or Lawler did color. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy Hart called me and he asked me how much I'm going to need for it. And I said, Jimmy, I don't know what to ask. He said, well, come up with a number. It doesn't matter. And I came with something like, because I thought it was a rib kind of, I came up with something gigantic. And he said, well, we can't do that. I said, okay, and whatever number I came up with, they agreed to. And Brian Nobbs ran it. Uh, and we had our big meeting with the boys and the production people. And I sat beside Road Warrior Hawk and the production people uh, in the meeting. And Nobbs stood up and was addressing everybody. Uh, and <laughs> Hawk looked at me and he said, we're fucked. Brian Nobbs is running this fucking meeting. We're fucked. That's hilarious. <laughs> uh and Nobbs had a very good meeting, but uh, I thought it was he was very emotional about wanting to, you know, continue things in the business. Uh, I enjoyed. Was it, it in Orlando? Yeah, at uh, Universal Studios. I enjoyed it. I thought it was gonna, I thought it was gonna fly. I really did. And then, uh, since we're talking about that type of stuff, you get a call from somebody to do the TNA gig. Yeah, 
Vince Russo said he wanted me to do the TNA and he had an idea for me. So we talked it over and I said, yeah. Uh, was not told anything to say, how to say it, just confront today and uh, and I did it. And I was in the back afterwards. They taped another show, I think, where I was in the back. I was in the back and I was watching the monitor and I was hearing Tanae and uh, whoever his color guy is. Don I, West. Don West. Scream and oversell every lame spot in the world. And I drove back that night with Russo. And Glenn Gilberti was with us, a couple other guys. Disco Inferno. Disco. Uh, uh, we were in a, a minivan that somebody had rented. To go from Atlanta to Nashville? Mm-hmm. And come back that night, and I had to go directly to my job at the radio, at station. The radio station. And I called Vince the next day, I think, and I said, I can't do it anymore. I said, I, I just can't. I said, I got I got I got another job now. And I just, I don't want to do it anymore. And I guess I was still burned out. I don't know. And he said, okay. And that was it. But he's the one that got me in. And, you know, Russo has always been a big supporter of mine. That's why in all the talk about people thinking he killed WCW, everybody's got their opinion. I know. Uh, a lot of people don't like him. I know Cornette hates him. I, I like Vince Russo a lot. He was. He's always been a super nice guy to me. Yeah. Just big supporter of Tony Schiavone's work. He told me one time, never will forget it, don't know where it was. We were walking in the aisle back at a nitro, and he said, here, I want to talk to you. He said, I know there's a lot of people giving you shit about your work, and they were. There's a lot of people on this booking committee, and, you know, he worked with the committee. He was like, he and Ed were like the lead bookers. And he said, as long as I'm the writer here, don't you ever worry about your job. I love your work, and I'm a big supporter of you. And in a business that was based on rumors and bullshit and Dirt sheets. That meant a lot. Yeah, it did mean a lot. So I, I'll i always have a a lot, you know, good things to say about him. So he tried to get me in through TNA, and I just didn't want to do it anymore. And I gave it up. Uh, hypothetically, if TNA called and wanted you to uh, do some broadcast stuff for them as a commentator. No. No interest? None. Not because you're anti-TNA, just because it's not what you want to do. It's not what I want to do. I not only that, uh, and Lois can tell you this, my, I was losing my voice at the end of the run of, of double. When we would do like a pay-per-view on a Sunday, and then we would do uh, Bro, Nitro, Nitro and then Thunder on Tuesday and tape it, my voice was almost done. Explain to us novices how that is different from you doing morning drive radio five days a week. Well, I would, I'd, to the, at the end of it, they would have me scream and oversell to the point to where listening back to my stuff, I was, I sounded excited, but it was just too much of it. Constant. 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 And I remember telling them, guys, if. Everything's if, the greatest night in the history yes, of our sport. Nothing said, matters. Nothing matters. I said, if I'm screaming about this first match being great, then what does that mean for the main event? Mm-hmm. It's, it's like the old school working. The old school, when you go to a house show, you kind of worked up to the main event. So if two guys in the, as we said, curtain jerker, we're doing, we're doing spots and tables and double and blood and everything. And then what did that mean? for Where the do fucking you go movie? from there? Exactly. And I was doing that and I was doing that because that was, that's what, what they wanted. 
at that time. So, yeah, I overhyped shit. And I was, my, my work was fucking miserable there at the end. I was a miserable fuck, and my work was miserable. Well, uh, what nobody's miserable about is uh, hearing some Klondike Bill stories. Klondike Bill stories? We've we've built Klondike Bill into a legend on this program. Right. And by we, I mean you. Yeah. And uh, there's not much that people were guaranteed with this topic today right. outside of rapid-fire questions. And yeah. To say we got questions about Klondike Bill would yeah. be an understatement. Yeah. The only, and this is the only other thing I remember. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. This is the only other thing Klond- uh, that I remember about Klondike Bill. He used to talk about the fact, and this was when he was very young, uh, and he used to talk about the fact that he could uh, engage in oral sex with a woman, mm. okay, till she would pass out. And he said, he said, you remember this? He said, he said you know, you get these albums. And you could you could stack seven albums on top of one another. You know the old. Yeah. Do you remember records? Yeah. You sure you remember records? Yeah, my grandma had one. Yeah. Okay. Well, you could stack seven albums on top of each other, and the record they would have. And they'd play. Yeah, and he would go through all seven, and not get up, not come up for air. He said a lot of times the girls would pass out. He said I wouldn't come up for air. He said sometimes. Flip them over and go back and do it again. That's what he loved. When he flipped them over, you're saying the records? The records. <laughs> okay. Just want to clarify. Yeah. You're, ah. almost, you're, almost, hey. you're almost as bad. As, no, you're worse than he is. Hey, are you familiar with uh, what the kids are listening to these days? Uh, no. No, I don't listen to any of that stuff at all. There is... Um, a pop song, maybe a hip hop song from a few years ago where there's a line and it's a, a lady singing it. Yeah. And she says a phrase that I think Klondike Bill would cosign. Eat the booty like groceries. Mm-hmm. Eat the booty like groceries. That's what he did. <laughs> All night. Oh, God. All night. That was his thing. I mean, that's, he just. Did Ric Flair steal his gimmick? It kind of sounds like it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I just Bill was kind of a raw type, just an old Canadian raw type, dirty ass fella. <laughs> no, he wasn't. Klondike is one of the great legends in wrestling, and everybody who worked with Klondike Bill loved him. Do you know Ask that around. more people right now know who Klondike Bill is? Uh-huh. Than maybe at any time yeah. prior in and, history. And, and we're a part of that, and I'm not so sure that I'm proud of that. But God bless him. One of the great Nobody has vilified him. He's, no. he's a cult hero. He's a folk hero. Yeah, and that's good. That's good. But, you know, again, again, I believed in kayfabe <laughs> until I met your slap ass. Would it be possible, okay. you think? for us to get the Shivani family together for like a Christmas card portrait of the entire family in yeah. Klondike t-shirts. <laughs> yeah, they'd go for it. I'd, I'd have to tell Lois some sort of silly story about it to get her to go for it. But is that what you want? I think 
we, I think if we had that and, yeah. and we had you like at your appearances, uh-huh, sign it. Yeah. Yeah. People would, I mean, I would have that framed in my little home studio here. Yeah. I'd put it next to my brother love action figure. Yeah. Well, you know, you, keep in mind, not all people are as sick as you are. Keep that in mind. Only a couple hundred thousand of them are. <laughs> and we're glad you're here. And uh, we're getting back to our poll format next week. Uh, we've had a lot of fun going kind of year by year here. 90 was awesome. Halloween Havoc 1990s, what won the poll? Uh, Great American Bash 91 just barely eked out the victory over uh, Halloween Havoc 1991. And now we're going to cruise over into 92. Now, uh, we have already had Super Brawl 2 on a poll in the past. So we're going to leave it off this time. Uh, and we're going to go to four big pay-per-views from 1992. The first of which was from May in Jacksonville. It's Wrestle War 92. You've got the Freebirds taking on Terry Taylor and Greg Valentine. Johnny B. Bad taking on Tracy Smothers. Scotty Flamingo, who would go on to be Raven against Marcus Alexander Bagwell. Ron Simmons and Mr. Hughes. The Super Invader with Harley Race taking on Todd Champion. Big Josh, who would later be Doink, taking on Richard Morton. Brian Pillman taking on Tom Zink for the WCW Light Heavyweight Championship. A little bit of hot tag action there. I bet. Uh, Scott Steiner and Rick Steiner taking on Tatsumi Fujinami. And uh, tagging with Fujinami is... Uh, Tata Yuzuki Uzukazuwa. Ha! Uh, <laughs> It's even better than I hoped. Okay. And then in the main event, the war games, it's sting squadron with sting, Barry Windham, Dustin Rhodes, Ricky steamboat, and Nikita Koloff taking on the dangerous Alliance of Steve Austin, Rick rude, Arn Anderson, Bobby Eaton, and Larry Zabisco, uh, widely regarded as one of the better war games, maybe ever. Uh, and it is wrestle war 1992. Now the next pay-per-view is beach blast 92. This was one of my favorites as a kid. Uh, this one happened in Mobile, Alabama oh. in June of 1992. Scotty Flamingo takes on Brian Pillman for the light heavyweight championship. Ron Simmons and Terry Taylor take take action. Greg Valentine and Marcus Bagwell are in a singles match. Uh, here is a highlight I can't wait to talk about if it wins. Missy Hyatt defeats Medusa mm. in a bikini contest. Uh, here's a fun one. Sting and Cactus Jack falls count anywhere. Uh, then we've got a 30-minute Iron Man challenge with Ricky Steamboat and Rick Rude. And then in a six-man tag team match with Ole Anderson as a special guest referee, we've got Dustin Rhodes, Barry Windham, and Nikita Koloff taking on the Dangerous Alliance again, this time with Bobby Eaton, Steve Austin, and Arn Anderson. Of course, Medusa and Paul E are there. And then in our main event, and this is one that is underrated, uh, the Steiner brothers, Rick and Scott take on Terry Gordy and Dr. Death, Steve Williams for the WCW tag team title. Lots of great underrated matches on that one. Great American bash 1992 from Albany, Georgia in July is our next one. We've got Nikita and Ricky Steamboat taking on Jushin Liger and flying Brian. Uh, Hayes and Hashimoto taking on the Freebirds, Dustin and Barry taking on Steve Austin and Rick Rude, Terry Gordy and Dr. Death taking on Nikita Koloff and Ricky Steamboat, Dustin and Barry taking on Haas and Hashimoto, the world title, Big Van Vader 
takes on Sting, and then Terry Gordy and Dr. Death Steve Williams face in the finals Dustin Rhodes and Barry Windham. So uh, lots of fun stuff happening here, matches that you might not normally see. Uh, but then one that people have been asking for for a while, Halloween Havoc 1992, spin the wheel, make the deal, Philadelphia, October 25th of 1992. We've got Tom Zink, Johnny Gunn, and Shane Douglas taking on Arn Anderson, Michael Hayes, and Bobby Eaton. Ricky Steamboat taking on Brian Pillman. Big Van Vader defending the United States Championship against Nikita Koloff. Barry Windham and Dustin Rhodes taking on Dr. Death and Steve Austin. Rick Rude and Masahiro Chono are in a match, this time with Hiro Matsuda and Medusa in the corners. Uh, for the world title, we've got Ron Simmons taking on the Barbarian. He is seconded by Cactus Jack. And then the match everybody remembers, Sting and Jake Roberts. And are you ready for this? A coal miners glove match wow. in the main event. Uh, so there are your poll topics for 1992. We'll get to Starcade and Super Brawl another time, but this time it's Halloween Havoc. Spin the wheel, make the deal. The Great American Bash with the tag team title tournament. Also, maybe the sleeper of the whole thing to me, Beach Blast 92. Uh, some underrated stuff going on on that one. And then maybe one of the more famous War Games matches ever, Wrestle War 1992. It's war games, destroy or be destroyed with Sting Squadron and the Dangerous Alliance. There's only one place to throw down this vote, and it's on Twitter. It's at WHW Monday. Cruise on over there, pin to the top. You'll see all four topics, and you've only got a few days to throw down your vote. So what's it going to be for 92? Is it going to be the Great American Bash, Beach Blast, Wrestle War, or spin the wheel, make the deal, Halloween Havoc. Tony, if you had to pick one, which one would you want to cover? Uh, spin the wheel, make the deal. I, I think what I remember most, most about that was that may have been the one. I have to go back and look at it, that uh, Cactus Shack took a bump off the uh, second level of the Philadelphia Civic Center and landed on the floor. And I remember him saying he was going to do that, and I was telling him, I said, you're, you're going to kill yourself one day. It's going to be good TV but you're going to kill yourself one day. So I remember that. I remember working with Bruno San Martino a little bit too. I don't know if that was, and I remember that being in Philadelphia. I don't know if that was that time or not that I was working with Bruno. You've been hitting the head a lot, haven't you? Yeah, I have. <laughs> you, can't, you can't be married 36 years without being hit in the head. Well, I'm not arguing that. Okay. Uh, I do believe uh, that the match you're talking about, though, with Harley... Uh, or with uh, Cactus taking the big bump uh -huh. was in uh, 93. Do I have that wrong? Yeah, you do have it wrong. Okay. Uh, Cactus in 93 took on Vader, Yeah, I believe. And that was Jesse and I covering, uh, calling the match, I believe. And they bled all over us. I believe I remember that right. Uh, so. Well, either way, uh, I obviously don't remember what we're talking about. So hopefully, spin the wheel, make the deal wins. But I remember most about that. Is a coal miner's glove because as a kid, I'm thinking it's going to be any of these matches I'm familiar with. Yeah, and coal miner's glove wins, and I'm like, I don't know what the fuck that is. Yeah, we had to explain what it was. Yeah, it was, so, the, it was the glove that they had uh, steel on the knuckle. It, but if if you have to explain it, then it, it, yeah, right. If you have to explain it, then you're fucked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Only in WCW. I know, I know. We we did a lot of fucked up stuff. It's a wonder we lasted as long as we did. 
It is a wonder. And it's, and it's a wonder that we have lasted as long as we have today. Because yes. when I look at my clock, I can't help but think it's about that time. About that time? It's about that time for me to say that, Hi, I'm Tony Schiavone, coming to you from ringside with my valet Medusa. And we got this perfect cage match between Klondikeville and Conrad Thompson. <laughs> the winner of the cage match is going to eat kielbasa stored in Klondikeville fridge overnight after he had a double day. <laughs> so for all of us here at World Championship Wrestling, they're coming to the ring. Oh, my goodness. They're going to start out with a belly bump. And we're out of time. The tape machines are rolling. Conrad's got a chair. See you next week on What Happened When Monday.